Reverend Wendy speaks about co-creating a world in harmony and restoring the balance between the feminine and masculine energies within each of us and within our culture and society. So it is a joy to be back home, to be on this platform, to be with you, my spiritual family, my, my tribe. And I spent, so I spent 10 days in Japan, most of which was built around or for the Fuji Symposium gathering that I had been invited to attend. I returned um, on Thursday evening spent most of Friday unpacking and uh, doing laundry and filling an empty refrigerator up with food and uh, trying to get acclimated to a 16-hour time zone change. And then yesterday, I spent most of the day saying, I'm not going to give the talk that I had originally scheduled. I really want to share with this community a bit of the experience in, in uh, Japan. And so it became, well, how do I try to condense a very rich and very important and meaningful gathering for you? And how do I also weave in some pieces that would be helpful for whatever it is that you are dealing with in your life? So this is my best attempt to do that with you and for you. So I want to open with a piece that is the vision of the Fuji Declaration. And the Fuji Declaration and what it is will become much more apparent as I move through the message this morning. But here is a vision for a new world. Imagine a world where global citizens make it their mission to design, communicate, and implement a more harmonious civilization that enables humankind to realize its inherent potential and advance to the next stage of its material, spiritual, and cultural evolution. Building upon the belief that there is a spark within the human spirit that when ignited can bring about a true revolution in consciousness within ourselves and all spheres of society, the Fuji Declaration is an invitation to harness the power of our shared intention for a thriving world. Together, we can overcome the hold of obsolete ideas and thinking that underlie today's unsustainable trajectory and design a more harmonious and flourishing civilization for the coming generations a world that reflects the highest potentials of the human spirit. Together, we can create a new chapter in the story of humanity. Does that sound like unity to you? It sounds an awful lot like, to, like unity to me. So it was in February that I received an invitation from the Goy Peace Foundation to participate in their two Fuji Declaration commemorative events in Japan, one held in Tokyo and one held at the base of Mount, Mount Fuji. The symposium consisted of 28 people and was by invitation only. The Symphony of Peace Prayers was a public event that was held outdoors at the 
foot or the base of Mount Fuji, and there were approximately 10,000 people in attendance at that event. It was live streamed. We did put word out through our e-newsletter and gave you the opportunity to watch it live. It is archived. Should you want to watch it, it is available. It's a very, very moving ceremony of symphony of peace prayers for every single country and region in the world. And you would find that by Googling Symphony of Peace Prayers 2017. But what is the Fuji Declaration? And let me share some more with you about that. The Fuji Declaration is a global alliance of individuals and organizations united by a shared commitment to advance a more harmonious, compassionate, and sustainable era for all humanity. It's a call to all global citizens to recognize and nurture the full human potential and divine spark within each human spirit and to consciously evolve with others and with nature to bring about a flourishing world for all people and for future generations. The Fuji Declaration was initiated by Masami Sayonji, Dr. Irvin Laszlo, and Hiro Sayonji. And at its launch in May of 2015, it was endorsed by 60 partner organizations and over 200 founding signatories from around the world, including pioneering heads of state, Nobel laureates, scientists, artists, authors, teachers, and world peace advocates. I want to read to you the essence of the Fuji Declaration. The Fuji Declaration, Awakening the Divine Spark in the Spirit of Humanity for a Civilization of Oneness with Diversity on Planet Earth. A new phase in the evolution of human civilization is on the horizon. With deepening states of crisis bringing unrest to all parts of the world, there is a growing need for change in our ways of thinking and acting. We now have the choice of either spiraling into deepening peril or breaking through to a world of dignity and well-being for all. Throughout its history, humanity has been guided primarily by a material consciousness. Fearing scarcity, we have continued to per pursue material gain beyond necessity, taking from others and depleting the Earth's natural resources. If our aspirations continue to focus only on what is material and finite, our world will face inevitable destruction. In order to make more enlightened choices and change the course of our history, we need to return to the basic question concerning human life. Each and every one of us must ask, what is our true nature? And seek a meaningful and responsible answer. The great spiritual traditions of the world have always been telling us that, at its root, human life is inextricably linked to its universal source. Today, the latest advances in the physical and life sciences reaffirm this perennial insight. When we rediscover our connections to nature and the cosmos, we can realign our life with the universal movement toward oneness and harmony in and through diversity. We can restore the divine spark in the human spirit and bring forth our innate love, compassion, wisdom, and joy 
to live a flourishing life. The time has come for every one of us to awaken the divine spark that resides in our heart. We have been born at a critical juncture in history, in a world in transition, where it is possible to guide the advancement of humankind toward peace on Earth. Living peace and enabling peace to prevail on Earth is the ultimate purpose for all of us. We can and must embrace it in every sphere of our existence. By living consciously and responsibly, we can draw upon our inherent freedom and power to shape our destiny and the destiny of humankind. Our task is to collaboratively create a world of dignity and compassion that unfolds the full potential of the human spirit, a world in which every individual gives expression to his or her highest self in service to the human family and the whole web of life on the planet. It is imperative to bring together individuals from diverse fields, scientists, artists, politicians, business leaders, and others, to create a solid, multi-dimensional foundation for catalyzing a timely shift in the course of history. The time has come for all people to become courageous pioneers, to shift in the course of history. I'm sorry, the time has come for all people to become courageous pioneers, to venture beyond their personal, cultural, and national interests, and beyond the boundaries of their discipline, and to come together in wisdom, spirit, and intention for the benefit of all people in the human family. By so doing, we can overcome and hold off obsolete ideas and outdated behaviors in today's unsustainable world and design a more harmonious and flourishing civilization for coming generations. The paradigm of the new civilization is a culture of oneness with respect for diversity. Just as the myriad cells and diverse organs of our body are interconnected by their oneness and work together in harmony for the purpose of sustaining our life, so each and every living thing is an intrinsic part of the larger symphony of life on this planet. With the conscious recognition that we are all part of a living universe consisting of great diversity, yet embracing unity, we will co-evolve with one another and with nature through a network of constructive and coherent relationships. Does that sound familiar? Does that not sound like so much of what our teaching is built on? The recognition of the divine spark within us. The invitation to see ourselves as a global citizen. The need for fairness. The need for love and compassion and justice. And that it in fact begins with each and every one of us and must be extended through all the different sectors of life. The Fuji Symposium event was the event that invited 28 visionary leaders to sit in dialogue for a full day on the topic of co-creating a world in harmony and balance. The 28 of us who were invited to participate in this event were individuals who were asked to take a look at what does it mean to ignite the divine spark 
and specifically to ignite the divine spark of the infinite feminine and masculine. What does that mean and how do we do that individually and how do we bring that forth in, across the different sectors of life? Of the 28, there was a minister, there were doctors, scientists, lawyers, former Japanese heads of states, and others. And to paint just a little bit of a picture for you of this more intimate gathering of the 28 with a few people who were invited to, to watch and to hold space for us and to listen, I want to just share a little bit about some of the people who made up those 28. Because believe me, when I had received my invitation, I did not know the group of people into which I was being invited to participate. And I have to be honest with you, when I read their bios after the fact, when they sent them to us afterwards, I went, holy cow, what am I doing here? And I had to breathe into that and trust that there must have been something when the Sionjis had met me here at our Unity Center that caused them to feel to, that they would extend an invitation to me and, and to you, to us, because of the work that we are doing here uh, in Unity. So one of the women of the 28 that really captured my heart, and I think she captured the heart of everybody else in our group and at the gathering, was Hafsat Abiola. Some of you who are more involved in social justice issues or global issues may, may recognize her. She's a stunningly beautiful, powerful, strong, and yet gentle woman. Hafsat Abiola is the daughter of um, the former, um, no longer living, president of Nigeria. Her mother was assassinated for trying to carry on the pro-democracy work of her father and her family. Hafsad Abiola continues to try to fight for or stand for peace and justice to try to help the, her country of Nigeria. She is a graduate of Harvard University. In fact, it was on her graduation day, the day before her graduation, that her mother was to come and participate in her graduation ceremony. But that was the day that she was, her mother was assassinated for her beliefs in standing up for the people of Nigeria. It is my hope that with the work that Hafsad Abiyala is doing in Nigeria, helping women and the impoverished people there, that we might be able to partner with her and bring some of the items that her women make into our Partners Fair Trade Boutique. And if we're able to do that, we will be the first outlet for her outside of Nigeria. Would that not be wonderful? And while I had the opportunity to spend some time talking to her, because another person had told her all about our Partners Fair Trade Boutique, and she was very interested in that and very excited when I said, let's, let's figure out how we can support what you're doing and carry some of your items here in our store. Um, she was also made aware of the program I created called Travel with a Purpose, which is a travel program that has volunteering and culture and spiritual practice at its heart, but it's an unusual volunteer travel program in that the work that we do, the construction work that we do, is done with microfinance loans that are made by the church to the country or the organization that we're trying to support. And then 
um, those monies are paid back either to the Unity Center or paid forward to continue that kind of work. So it is a hand up, not a hand out. And so Hafsad and I talked about that, and who knows, we might be creating a travel with a purpose trip to Nigeria to, to do something for her people. Believe me, that trip would make schlepping 2,000 bricks at 12,000 feet that weigh 25 pounds each in Machu Picchu seem easy, or in Peru seem easy. Anyway, then there was, yeah, then there was Prita, uh, Prita Bonsall. She's worked in top-level U.S. government, in law, in public policy, in academia, and global business. She served President Obama as general counsel and senior policy advisor in the White House. She graduated from Harvard, and she lectures at MIT. Then there was Sam Beard. He's created programs for eight U.S. presidents, from Nixon to Obama. He's helped to create over two million jobs in low-income communities. Sam and I hit it off. He's, um, I'm very interested in seeing how we might collaborate with work that he is passionate about. The work that he's passionate about is um, extending a much greater awareness and practice of mindfulness meditation all across the U.S., particularly in politics, but he has a very unique, yes, can you imagine if our House and Senate practice mindfulness meditation? I mean, there's documentation that shows that people who practice meditation are more compassionate are more compassionate. But anyway, what Sam is all about is extending this idea of mindfulness meditation across all sectors, but starting with our veterans who suffer from PTSD, because there is known um, data and research that supports that when they can learn the techniques of mindfulness meditation, it makes all the difference in the world in their emotional, mental, physical, and psychological well-being. So he was very excited to, to learn about the Unity Center, and especially when I said, well, we're a block away from the base. We've got the VA down the street from us. I know folks in my community that would be all over this. Let's talk some more when we both get home. So that was Sam Beard. Dr. Raymond Moody, some of you, like me, may remember reading his books in the 70s. He was the one who first started to, to research and write about the near-death experience, and he is really the world-renowned for that work. Dr. Gary Zukoff, author of four New York Times bestsellers, Seat of the Soul, and The Dancing Wooly Masters was a book that I read in ministerial school that was my introduction to, to um, the spiritual side of quantum physics. So these were just a handful of the 28 that were invited to present at this symposium. And so the 28 of us were divided into five different sections. We each had a section in which we were in charge of presenting ideas. We were not to prepare a usual lecture. We were given a very short amount of time to actually talk, and we were also asked to be sure that we really listened to what others were having to say. So each of the five sessions then had three presenters and a handful of panelists. The presenters were to set the stage or the tone for their particular session, and each 
presenter was given a few minutes to do that, and each session had a different kind of theme, all geared toward the divine masculine and the divine feminine. But some of the sessions started with a, a little movie or started with um, a talk. Ours, mine, I was invited to be a presenter, and I presented with Gary Zukov and with um, Raymond Moody. And we were asked to start our session off with a poem, with a poem that we resonated with that spoke specifically to the idea of the divine masculine and the divine feminine. I did not ask for that assignment. We were placed in these different sessions by the designers of, of the program. And when I was told about 10 days before leaving that we needed a poem. I thought, holy cow, I, a poem? How am I going to find a poem on the divine feminine and the divine masculine? So I put it out to Facebook and I asked you for help. And some of you did respond, and yet there was nothing that I found that really spoke to my understanding of what the divine feminine and the divine masculine is. There's a lot out there about the goddess energy. There's a lot out there about the Gaia energy, about the mother energy, and all of that has its place and is, is lovely. But it's missing the mark as far as I'm concerned with the idea of creating harmony and balance by balancing the divine feminine and balancing the divine masculine. And there was that little voice in the back of my head that kept saying, that's because you need to write something. <laughs> I said, I don't want to write anything. I didn't like writing poetry in high school. I don't want to write it and then speak it in front of all of these esteemed people. But I couldn't find anything, so I did write something. And I share it with you here. Igniting the divine spark. Gender does not, must not, define the divine feminine nor the divine masculine. The divine feminine is not some kind of goddess woman, but rather a way of being and seeing. No less important, yet no more important than the divine masculine. The divine masculine is not some sort of superhero, but rather a way of being and seeing. No more important, yet no less important either than the divine feminine. The divine masculine, the divine feminine, each resides in you, each resides in me. The divine feminine, Intuitive, gentle, receptive, still, collaborative, creative, and yin. The divine masculine, analytical, strong, disciplined, active, assertive, logical, and yang. The divine feminine, the divine masculine, no longer pitted against each other, no longer torn apart, the wounded masculine healed, the buried feminine revealed. The divine feminine, the divine masculine, joined in sacred union, now dancing in holy rhythm, and in their perfect dancing, may peace prevail on earth. <clears throat> Thank you. So I see that our call 
is really twofold. To heal our world, to create a more loving, just, peaceful, compassionate, sustainable world for our future generations, we really do have to balance these energies within ourselves individually. And we also have to balance these energies in the way that we do politics, in the way that we do business, in the way that we approach science, in the way that we deal with healthcare, in our arts. There needs to be a balance of the divine feminine and the divine masculine, and it has nothing to do with gender. They each reside in each of us. There are women who have buried their divine feminine to try to succeed in a world that seems to only recognize the power and strength of the divine masculine. There are men who have been shamed to deny their divine feminine or have been encouraged to express the masculine in a wounded and abusive way. I remember my high school years when feminism was very much about this strong, assertive energy. And there was a time that it seemed as women, we even tried to dress as men to exert our power. I think that we needed to do that because so much had been suppressed for so long and we were trying to make our way. However, it needs to come to a point of balance. And I think that's great and deep and important individual, spiritual, and personal growth work for us. I think if we're honest with ourselves, each of us can look inside and identify where and how we are out of balance with the divine masculine or the divine feminine. And to the extent that we are willing to look honestly and willing to balance that, to that extent, we will become more integrated and more whole ourselves. And when we are more integrated and whole ourselves, we will make better choices and decisions, not just for ourselves, but for all future generations as well. I think we also, those of us who are older, those of us who are adult, those of us who have lived a few years now, owe it to our younger generation to, to be models for and advocates for what it means to strike that exquisite balance. I remember when I was pregnant with Jonathan, my firstborn, I was convinced he was a girl. I knew he was a girl. The truth was I wanted a girl. <laughs> and I wasn't able to will that into being. And because I was an older mom when I had him, I had to go through amniocentesis and stuff like, or I chose to go through amniocentesis. And so they absolutely know when you have amniocentesis done, whether you're having a boy or a girl. And so they asked, did I want to know? And I did, and, and John supported me in that. And I will never forget sitting in my office in the church in Mission Valley when the doctors called and said, you're have, congratulations, the baby is healthy. And I was very, very happy for that. And then they said, you're having a boy. And I hated myself for that moment of disappointment. Because I, he was supposed to be a girl. We had a girl's name picked. We didn't have a boy's name picked. I really wanted a girl. And I felt so badly that I had that momentary feeling of disappointment. I mean, now I love my kids totally. It makes no difference. But in that moment, there was that disappointment. And as I stayed with that feeling for a moment, in very short order, 
I got what I thought was a message from spirit that was really important to me. And it was a message that I had an opportunity here to be a mother of a boy that could be a very powerful opportunity in how I and John chose to raise him. Would we, could we choose to raise him in a way that he could be as much a young man as it is to be a young man and also know what it is to honor the divine feminine side within himself. And as soon as I got that message, and I really felt like it was from spirit, that this was an honor for us to try to, to bring forth a young man who would not be afraid of his masculinity or his femininity, that that was a powerful difference that we could make in, in our little thing that we call our world. And so we raised him to the best of our ability in that way, and I think that he has turned out to be this wonderful, wonderful balance. And I share that with you in part because I think that we have made such great strides in, this, in our country, not around the world yet, but in our country and in much of the Western world, we've made great strides in how we raise our girls. Most young girls today really do believe in Western world. They can go for anything that they want. Yes, there's still maybe some unfairness there, I'm not blind to that, but it's a heck of a lot better than it ever was before. Would you not agree? Absolutely. But I think it's a much tougher road right now for, and always has been, for young boys to, to understand that what it means to be a healthy, strong male and to honor that soft side within them and not be made fun of for it or criticized for it or made to be thought less a man because they have an intuitive sense or they have feelings or anything like that. So we, need, we have the opportunity to really look at how do we support a culture that honors both, that doesn't pit them against each other. One is not better than the other. We need them both healthy. We need to reveal the buried feminine and we need to heal the divine masculine, the wounded masculine. And so just as we must raise our boys to be um, comfortable with the divine feminine, we also have to make it safe for our girls to still be strong and not be called names because they are strong and assertive and disciplined and smart. We have got to stop using words like bitch to describe them. So that's the only bad word I'll say for the rest of the year. <laughs> I'm on jet lag, so you've got to give me just a little bit of slack. <laughs> but you're laughing because I think you know what I'm talking about here, right? So it's not either or, it's both and. Let me conclude with last piece from the Fuji Declaration. As individuals responsible for the future of life on Earth, will we Will we? Will we affirm the divine spark in the heart and mind of every human being and, to in, and intend to live by its light in every sphere of existence? Okay, if you're gonna say yes, say it like you mean it. Yes. All right. Will we?
commit ourselves to fulfilling our shared mission of creating lasting peace on earth through our ways of living and acting. Will we intend to live and act so as to enhance the quality of life and the well-being of all forms of life on the planet, recognizing that all living things in all their diversity are interconnected and are one? Will we continually strive to free the human spirit for deep creativity and to nurture the transformation necessary to forge a new paradigm in all spheres of human activity, including economics, science, medicine, politics, business, education, religion, the arts, communications, and the media? And will we, shall we make it our mission to design, communicate, and implement a more spiritual and harmonious civilization, a civilization that enables humankind to realize its inherent potential and advance to the next stage of its material, spiritual, and cultural evolution? May peace prevail on earth. Namaste. Thanks for listening. Sunday services at 9 and 11 a.m. Inclusivity. It's worth the drive. Subscribe to our podcasts and download our free app for instant access to a wealth of spiritual teachings, services, and events.